Today, I want to talk about being one in Christ. If you uh, have your worship guide, there's notes you can follow along and just kind of keep up with us. One in Christ. And we're talking about unity. And I want to talk about these two women to start with who were incredibly united in their faith in Christ. Um, you know, Monday, this past Monday was International Women's uh, Day. And uh, these are two powerful women uh, of our faith in, in times past. So the year was 203 AD. It's in northern Africa in a city called Carthage. And these two women were named Perpetua and Felicity. And, and they were uh, Christians in a pagan time. Actually, the, the church of Jesus Christ was exploding. And, and there was intense pressure, a lot of persecution. And people like these women were, were killed because of their faith in Christ. But, but they, would not, they were both mothers. They actually didn't know each other. Uh, we don't think, but they, they were both going to be killed because they refused to renounce Christ. Now, I, I've just got to say this. If it feels like that dying for your faith in Jesus is a man's thing, I, maybe I'm, you know, I, I, maybe I'm, I'm not giving women enough credit, but I, I feel like if, if this is the mother of my children, I'd be like, okay, I'll die for Jesus. You raise the children. Okay. Be a secret Christian, but not these women. They, they, they're mothers and they're standing up for Jesus. They won't be quiet about it. Particularly, Perpetua wrote all about it right before her death. And, and other people uh, cataloged what happened when she died. And just before her death, her father came in and begged her to renounce Jesus. He literally wept in the floor, pulled all the hair of his beard out, weeping, you must renounce Jesus. And, and Perpetua picked up a water pitcher. And she said, Father, what is this? And he said, it's a water pitcher. She said, can it become a flower? And he said, no, it's a water pitcher. And she said, in the same way, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer of Jesus Christ, and I can be none other than that. I've seen Jesus. He's raised my life out of sin. This is who I am. And so Perpetua and Felicity were taken, like this picture depicts, into the Colosseum to be attacked and killed by these wild animals. They were both gored. Uh, but, but they weren't killed. So they had these holes, they're bleeding out. They released the gladiators to slit their throats to give them a merciful death. And just before she dies, Perpetua stands up and speaks to the Christians who are out there listening to her. And she's recorded as saying these last words, you must stand fast in the faith and love one another and do not be weakened for what we are about to go through. Her last words are really the words that Jesus gave, love one another. And y'all, that is what has built the church. This, this idea of one church uh, in Jesus Christ, that's what's built our church. That's what built the church of Jesus. It's not great buildings and great things we've designed or built and architecture. It's not great wars that were fought by the crusaders, but it's always been the love of Jesus. And what I'm challenging us to do today is reunite behind loving people. If people just thought of one thing about the church, if they could say, give me one word that when you hear church, you think of, I hope they would say love, but I doubt they would. I think there'd be so many other things like judgment or anger or hateful or so many other words, Republican maybe. I mean, there's all kind of different words they would say. What they ought to say is love. In fact, there, this is Jesus's prayer about unity. In John 17, 21, he prays to his father that they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also, the people of God, may they be in us 
so that, watch this, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Maybe you never noticed this, but Jesus said something pretty amazing right there. He says, if the church, if the followers of Jesus are not united, if they are not one, then the world will never believe in Jesus. Literally, if we are divided, people will miss heaven because of that. And that is why Satan has fought to divide the church. Let me me tell you something. You may think you know the Bible pretty well. You may think your pastor knows the Bible pretty well. But let me tell you someone who knows the Bible better. Satan knows the Bible. And when Jesus steps up and says, the evangelism of of lost souls, the hope of Jesus will not be received if the church is divided. Satan's like, okay, that's my mission number one, to divide the church. And that is why we have denominations that have chosen sides over the minutia of details. I mean, picking different, there, there are literally Baptist denominations that have fought over whether or not you're baptized indoors or outdoors. We gotta have a whole new denomination because of that. Satan chose that as his number one attack method to divide us because Jesus said, if they're not in unity, they're nothing. And see, we think that our greatest enemy is culture. And and listen, I get it, man. I'm not happy with where our culture's going. I'm not happy with the way we've been attacked for our faith. I'm not happy with the godless pop culture, godless government. I feel like our government is more ungodly than it's ever been before. I mean, they just passed something called the Equality Act that does not give equality to anyone. It it actually harms everyone. But you know what? Jesus said that's not what's going to destroy the church. What's going to destroy the church is from within, And that's why the church is largely impotent in America today. It's not advancing. It's not growing. I mean, church folks are more excited. They're mad or they're they're more frustrated. But why isn't the church growing? See, we're rightly engaged when they call the church non-essential. I want to tell you, I've heard the government say a lot of dumb things. I want to just declare the dumbest thing the government ever said in my lifetime is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is non-essential. It is the most essential thing. Let me tell you, you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have a United States of America. Okay. I mean, it is the most essential thing. I'm frustrated about that. I'm frustrated that there are pastors literally in jail or in prison because they preach the gospel during the pandemic. I'm frustrated that there was a a congressman who stood up a couple weeks ago in the halls of U.S. Congress and said, quote, God's will is no concern of this Congress. That's where our government is. With all that stuff going on, let me tell you, that doesn't hold a light to the damage that is done when we're not in unity together. That's what Jesus said. And so Satan has picked these things like who's wearing a mask, what church has got a mask on and what doesn't, who's doing grive in church, who's not. Silly things that don't matter at all. And churches are divided over that. Do we baptize in Jesus' name or in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Is it one saved always? You know, I've always said I'm after those that have never been saved whatsoever. I don't have time to argue about silly little things that don't matter at all. If we get in unity, Jesus will save the whole world. Come on, give him praise if you believe it. So, so here's, what, here's what Jesus said. If, if, if we are divided, the gospel, the hope, the mission of Jesus is in advance. And so 1 John 3 and 1, watch this. This is so beautiful. It says, behold or, or notice or pay attention to the manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Now, if a boundless, limitless, all-powerful God, all-knowing God, 
could do anything in the world, why would he choose to make people like us? Flawed, imperfect people like us. And here's the only one answer. God wanted a family. He didn't want a collection of robots. He didn't want people who say and do everything that he makes them and forces them to do. He didn't want subjects or slaves. He wanted a family. And watch this. First Peter 1 and 3 says, For it is his boundless mercy that has given us the privilege of being born again. Everybody say that with me, born again. Like I was born and I grew up and I got it wrong. And so now I get to be born again. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Born again. So that we are now members of God's own family. You see, when we trust Christ and we surrender to him, we get to be born again. We get a second chance and we get to start over and we're members of God's family. And there's nothing more beautiful than God's family living together in harmony. Bill Hybels once said, the local church is the hope of the whole world. Man, I believe it. When the local church loves each other and gets along, I mean, amazing things happen. I could spend all my time this morning sharing testimonies of stories of beautiful things that have happened when God's people get together. Now, why do you think that is? Because God's people are God's children. And when God's children get together, God likes to be there with them, right? And when God shows up, wherever God is, how many believe really cool stuff is going to happen wherever God is? Right? That's why the people of God gather together. And that's why God does, does not want his children fighting at the table. How many of you parents love it when your children sit down and start choking each other and throwing stuff and fighting? God doesn't like it either. We're his sons and daughters. And he likes it when we love each other. He likes it when we get along with each other. And even if everything's not perfect, we just say, you know what? For the sake of unity, we're going to do it. Let me tell you this. If you are a part of a church... Let's just, I'm talking global church unity. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking all denominations, putting down walls and coming together. But let's just take it down into our local church. Like if you attend our church and you say, I love what this church does. I love the attitude of acceptance. But I wish they were kind of this way in something. Guess what? You may be right. We may be 10 degrees off. But you you may tell you what's better than turning 10 degrees and in a perfect direction. What's better than that? is being in unity around whatever direction. That's a fact. I'm telling you, your theology could be more sound. Your idea or your plan could be a better plan. But the very fact that you're not in unity with the plan that God has ordained through the leadership of the church means we're not going to reach as many people for Jesus Christ. That's not my idea. That's what Jesus said. I just read it to you from his book. That's the thing that the local church, we miss it. We don't understand it. That the spirit of unity, look it up. Every time you find it in the Bible, it's the Holy Spirit. It's a capital S. It denotes the deity of God. The spirit of unity is the spirit of God. And so when you run off on your own tangent, you're going to do your own thing. Man, I'm me and Jesus. I just love Jesus and all that organized religion. I don't need that. I can do Jesus all by myself. You don't know the Bible if you think that. Because the Bible demands unity. That means you're going to have to get along with me and I'm going to have to get along with you, right? You're going to say some stuff I don't like. I'm going to say and do some things you don't like. But unity is the most valuable thing we have because Jesus said without unity, the gospel will not be received. I need an amen in unity. All right. Now, let me tell you what we're supposed to do then as God's family. This is a few things about God's family. If you're taking notes, here they are. Number one, we are called out. That's the first thing. We're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're called out. And Jesus defined it right here in Matthew 16 and 18. He says, I tell you that you are Peter. 
And upon this rock, I'll build my church. Everybody say church. First time you find the word church in the Bible is right there. It's never been used in religious terms whatsoever until Jesus did. His whole context, people would have been like, what is he talking about? My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So if you're the first century right there with Jesus and you're hearing him say, I'm going to build my church and hell cannot prevail against it. You're probably like, I don't know what a church is, but I'm on board. Because I don't want hell to prevail against me, right? That, that, they don't even know yet. So that word is the Greek word ekklesia. And I'm going to do a little bit of teaching today, so I want you to break down. I'm going to break that down into where that word comes from. So the root of that word is the word kaleo. And it's in your notes right there. It's a verb, and it means to call forth or to summon loudly. So it's like, it's like saying, hey, Bob. That's kaleo. Like, you want to get somebody's attention, you're like, hey, Bob, real loud. That's when you did collect. All right, look at somebody on your row. Figure out who you're talking to. Get their name. And on the count of three, say hey and say their name real loud. Ready? You got somebody? One, two, three. Hey. Okay, that's it. You just did collect. You just called him. And he's like, well, why? What do you want me to do? All right, so that's the root of the word church. When you add the prefix ek, ek, you get ekaleo. And that's a verb and it means to call out of something or to call from something. So that's more like this. Hey, Bob, something's about to fall on your head. Move. That's the difference. Hey, hey, Bob, your car's on fire. Get out of the car. All right. So it's more than just calling him. It's like the house is on fire. Get out of the house. Okay. That, that's, that's the root of the word church. And then we get to the actual word Jesus used. It's a noun. Ecclesia, and it means the ones who have been called out. In other words, I was in that burning car and somebody told me to get out and I'm not in the burning car anymore. I was in that house that was on fire and I was about to go down for the count, but somebody loved me enough to reach into that room, pull me out. They called me, said, you're not meant for this. You're supposed to live. You're not supposed to stay in that jail cell anymore. I used to be in prison. Somebody loved me enough to tell me there was a better way. They walked into the prison. They pulled me out. They called me forth. I am the church. I am not what I used to be. If you're glad you're the church, give him praise right now. That's what he said he was going to do. Nobody's ever had a church yet when Jesus said this. Nobody's ever had the church. You know, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. Here's the None of that's gone down yet, right? There's no steeples. There's no stained glass windows. Nobody foolishly like we believed it was a building, right? When we say church, go to the church. Jesus didn't mean that. He says, I'm going to build a collection of people that were in a burning building and they're not in the burning building anymore. I'm going to build a collection of people that were in prison and they got out of prison. Here's the first thing you need to know. Once Jesus calls you, he gets you out of the prison. Let me tell you what's wrong with the modern church, okay? The ancient old church is sometimes hateful, and doesn't really love people the way it should. Let me tell you what's wrong with the modern church sometimes. The modern church is just going to go sit beside you in your prison cell. 
and love on you because it's so pitiful that you're in sin and that you're in bondage and we're just going to comfort you in your bondage. But the real church of Jesus Christ goes into the prison cell of sin with you and says, you are not identified by this sin. You are better than this sin. I'm going to help you get out of the sin and out of this prison. We're going to kick the doors off the jail cell like, like the Bible did with Paul and Silas in prison. That's what the church does. We go into that place, we bring those people out. And the minute you are the church, doesn't mean you joined or you became a member or you started giving money or you started acting a little bit better. That's not what it means to be the church. The church means I was in prison and now I got out of prison. That's the church. And if you keep living like you're in prison, you might love Jesus. And, And Jesus certainly loves you, but you are not in his church until you come out of that prison. Now, Jesus' word, ecclesia, is an ancient word that was first started in around 500 to 800 BC. And it was used in Greco-Roman city-states. And it was a governmental word. And it was a group of people, citizens, Roman citizens, who had the authority to make laws and designate how culture would live and what was customary and what was right and what was wrong. And, And it was interesting that Jesus was using their word church. He wasn't speaking in English, but ecclesia. He was using their Greek word to define what he was about to build, right? They had already decided. And by the way, they were an oppressive occupying force. (laughs) It's amazing to me how the, the, the older this book gets, the more relevant it becomes. What they were, the, the, the people of God were angry because an oppressive, godless government was, uh, had their thumb on them and was trying to control them. I, I'm not speaking from Fox News. I'm speaking from the Bible this morning. You get that? An oppressive, overreaching, godless government had their thumb on them and they didn't like it. And so what they thought Jesus was going to be was a deliverer. We're going to take up arms. We're going to fight, man. We're going to get our, you know, our guns. They didn't have guns, but they're going to get our guns and we're going to hold on to our rights and we're going to fight. And Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. I'm going to build my church. They've got their government. I'm going to build my government. And my government is going to be the one who changes culture. In other words, they say this is right and wrong. They define what culture is going to be. Jesus said, I'm going to build my own culture. We're going to define. You're going to come out of the burning building. You're going to come out of that prison. You're going to start depopulating prisons all over. You're going to start setting people free. And your culture, starting in your house, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your school, where you go to work, you're going to change the culture all the way around you. When Jesus said, I'm building a church, what he said was, I'm building people who will redefine the culture around them. That's why Daystar Church says we exist to transform our community through the love and power of Jesus Christ because that was Jesus's idea. Not that we would have a nice church and we'd have nice little families that go to church together and memorize Bible verses, but that because we're here, the whole culture changes. That's what he meant. We are called out. And the minute God calls you from something, he calls you for something. Now, that's why this matters. Number two, we are called out to call forth. You see, the minute I get called out, I have an assignment. See, if, you were to, if you're a believer, follower of Jesus today, you can probably remember when you were called, when you, when you heard the call of Jesus' voice, when you made Jesus your Lord, God used somebody. You might say, well, you know, Jesus called me. He did call you, but he used somebody. 
There was somebody, an act of love, an act of kindness. Someone was praying for you. A message was proclaimed to you. Somebody shared their faith. There's a word for that too. And it's this last word I want to share with you, uh, the Greek para kaleo. There's a call, kaleo, but there's para. So, so a para, it, it means to come beside. A paralegal is not a lawyer, but he works with a lawyer. He's a paralegal. A paramedic is not a doctor, but they work with the medical industry. They're paramedic. The kaleo doesn't happen without a para. The calling that changes your life forever doesn't happen until God calls somebody to come alongside you. There's an assignment. There is, if you think about it in your own walk with God, there's somebody that just loves you more than they ought to. Someone who has accepted you more than you deserve. Someone that's prayed for you or encouraged you in ways that you didn't really feel like you deserved. Maybe it was your mother or a pastor or a close friend or a physical brother or sister or a spiritual brother or sister. You know who they are? They are your para kaleo. That word is used 109 times in the New Testament. The church of Jesus Christ is full of para kaleos, people who come alongside and help you become who you're supposed to be. It is literally me saying, I've been called out and now my job is to call you out. My job is to love you through and see, I have to tell you, you have a mission. You have a purpose. The church needs you. Your world, your family needs you. For me, that was a pastor. Uh, it's been a lot of people, honestly. But one man I remember is Pastor Henry McDuffie, my pastor, who I was, I was a youth pastor in the biggest church I'd ever seen. I didn't even know how I ended up there. I grew up in a small town in a really small church. And, and this pastor asked me to come and serve with him as his youth pastor and I couldn't believe they would let me preach. Literally, I snuck in. The door was unlocked. I stood behind the pulpit, and I looked around. I was like, I wonder if I can ever be here. And I didn't know the cleaning dude was over there vacuuming. He's like, who is that weirdo standing behind the pulpit? And, and one day, they actually let me preach. And when I got finished preaching, pastor called me over to the side after everybody left. And I was like, well, this is, this is when he tells me, yeah, you're done. You, know, you can't do that anymore. And instead, he said, Jerry, I just want to tell you something. You're going to pastor your own church one day. And it's going to be a fantastic church. It's going to be bigger than this church. It's going to reach more people. This is the biggest church I'd ever seen. I'd never even visited a church as big as this church before. He said, it's going to, he just started telling me stuff that I just did not know or believe was true about my life. He was prophesying actually that what he has spoken has come true in my life. I didn't know it was there. What it was is he was my parakaletos. He was the one God called alongside me to start pulling things out of me. You see, one of the big mistakes of Christians is we think when we see someone in sin. We're supposed to point out all the sin and look at what they're doing. I can't believe that's not a great example of a Christian. Look at, no, God lets you see that sin so that you can call out better things from that person. So you can love that person through those times. So you can bring out the best inside of them. See, when you start doing that, you start to connect with God. You remember when you, when you learn the Lord's prayer, it says, um, in, in the Lord's prayer, it says, thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is where in heaven. So, so God likes a connection between heaven and earth, right? Well, Jesus continues that here. Verse 18. Again, I tell you, you're Peter. And upon this rock, I'll build my ecclesia. You've got this ruling ecclesia. I'm gonna build my own ecclesia and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he goes on and says, and I'm going to give you the keys. That means authority of the kingdom of heaven. And watch this. Whatever you bind on earth is bound where? In heaven, there's the partnership. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed where? In heaven. 
So in your life and in the circles around you, there needs to be some binding and some loosening. Sin has a way of running wild in your life. Man, the same mistakes you've made and you tried to get away from them, they keep running wild. Some of you might even be wondering, I thought I was called out of that burning building. I thought I was called out of that jail cell, but it seems like it followed me. You know why? Because it followed you. That's what sin does. And the Bible says that if you will bind that sin on earth, I will bind that sin in heaven. You don't have to let your addiction become your identity. I'm preaching better than y'all were amen in this morning, y'all. I, I told them to put extra caffeine in the coffee. I don't know if they did. I know it's time change day. I rescind my excitement about time change day. <laughs> Listen to me. When you see a person in sin, you don't have to sit back and say, I thought they had Jesus, but it, apparently they didn't have Jesus. No, man. You have been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You can bind that. I mean, you take that person by the hand. Tell them they're meant for more than that. Tell them, man, I love you. We're going to get through this together. And in Jesus' name, that addiction, that bondage, that sin, that stronghold has no authority in your life. And the Bible says heaven's going to notice and he's going to come in partnership with you. And whatever you bind on earth will be made binding in heaven. Yeah. And that's only half of it. That's only half of it because you also have some things that need to be loosed or released into your life. And that is the purpose and the destiny of God. You were not called out of that burning building so you could sit over here in safety until Jesus returns. You were called out of that because there's a purpose and a destiny in your life. And you need somebody like Pastor Mac who came into me and just prophesied where I was going, places I wanted to go and Hoped I could go, but was not in any way sure I could go. He just spoke life. And so when people came along and said, man, your church is weird. It's got a weird name. You, you can't be of God. Or people said, y'all not a part of a denomination. You must be a cult. All that crazy stuff that, by the way, only religious people say that stuff to me. Never hear it from lost people. Lost people love us. I'm telling you, you know, but when, when they said all that crazy stuff to me, I had something inside of me that had been spoken and prophesied over me that they had come too long, too late to stop what God was doing because I already had a paracletos, a, a brother to come beside me and release some things. God says, whatever you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven. I want you to know God wants to loose destiny in you purpose and a future, hope and power. Man, you, you keep thinking every time I get up, something cuts my feet out. Every time I try, I fail and fall backwards, but God wants to release destiny in you. And, and, and see, that is what our calling is, is to become a partner with God. Now watch this. Jesus says, if you go two chapters ahead, we were in Matthew 16, go to Matthew 18. Jesus starts saying some of the same things which I really appreciate because I say a lot of the same things. Okay, because y'all need to listen. Okay, that's why I keep saying it. And in verse 18, he says the same thing. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And what's the next word? Verse 19, the next word is again. Again, I say to you. So, so that word again ties what he just said about binding and loosing with what he's about to say, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. How many? Two. 
Well, me and God, we got a good thing going. I don't need all that organized religion, that bunch of hypocrites. Just me and God up on a mountain. You don't know your Bible. It takes two. God intentionally, and you won't find anybody that's just like you. Nobody. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. (laughs) Nobody's just like me and nobody's just like you. Somebody, they're going to have a different opinion. They're going to want to do it a different way. And God is going to force us to get into unity. He's going to, I know a lot of Lone Ranger Christians, a lot, a lot of them used to go to this church and we didn't do something just right. I got news for you. If you, if if you think, man, they've done it all right, hang in there. We're going to do something wrong in a little bit. I got it on plan. I don't know what it is, but it's coming. We're going to do something wrong. It, It always happens. You have to make a choice. I want the unity of the saints. I want the calling of God in my life. And the Bible says that when we are called out, there's a calling forth in somebody else. So you've been called alongside somebody to make a difference in their life. And so it becomes real simple for us. What the, what the gospel of Jesus, what the church of Jesus is supposed to do is stated very simply in 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal, that word appeal, parakaleo, a calling with a partner. His appeal is made through us. God's appeal is, is God calling with a partner being used? You're the partner with God. In fact, the root for the word church, the root for appeal, and the root for the word church is all the same. The root for the word encourage, same root word. Literally, it means you can't be the church if you don't encourage. How many people do you know that are very, very religious, but they're not very encouraging? Guess what? They're not the church. You, Jesus defined the church and the definition of the church is the called out ones who are calling out other people by encouraging them in their faith. That, that's the definition. If you haven't been called out and walked out of that grave, and if you're not actively calling other people out by encouraging and speaking hope and life into them, you're not in his church. I, I didn't make that up. Jesus made that up. I just bold enough and crazy enough to tell you. So our calling is to speak life into people. Tell people what was not in them 10 minutes ago is now inside of them because of the hope we gave them. And so our purpose is people. And if we don't care about people, we don't matter. Our church doesn't matter unless people matter to our church. It's the only reason we exist. I've got... got, hopes and, uh, and, and plans I, I hope I see happen with our government. I'd like to see a lot of things change in Hollywood. I'd like to see our culture see the world differently. Those are all things that would be fine and, and good and I hope will happen. Prophecy tells me that they won't, probably. But what really matters is am I being His church? That's why people matter. That, that's why nameless, faceless victims of sin who are all around us are not our enemy. They're not our enemy. They're our purpose. We have to love them. We don't wait till they get cleaned up and straight. We love them right where we are. That's why when you serve in this church, man, you go out and do a serve project, put on your serve shirt, or you just invite people to a small group, you're telling them they matter. When you tithe, that's one of the hardest things to prove 
uh, you know, this matters to me in my finances. Man, you are telling the world they matter. Lost people matter. Hundreds of you have given above your tithe. So we're, we're doing this move journey. You're making a statement that people matter. You know, in, in, in Madison, all we have in Madison is a piece of dirt and we put a sign on it. And we already picked up two new families from that neighborhood to our church just because we have a sign up. We're telling them we're coming to you. You go, you go on uh, Google Maps and look at our piece of property. There are like hundreds, maybe thousands of rooftops, not one church. But Daystar Church says those people matter. We're coming up there and we're doing something. Already we've seen two families. I thought you'd praise God for two families in the church. If it's your children. Right? Those families matter. And when you say, I'm not just here to occupy space, take up oxygen, and wait till Jesus calls me home. I'm here to make a difference. And God uses you for something bigger than yourself. And this church is a collection of people who have come out of the prison. Am I right? Come on. I mean, there's somebody in your section that, 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 that somebody's thinking, what are they doing in church? That person's not a church person. And, and if you don't know who that person is, you're that person in your section. We're all thinking, no, we don't think that. But honestly, that's a joke. Everybody here, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Everybody here is a prisoner who got called out. But there's somebody still in that prison. So we got to go get them. That's why we serve. That's why we have small groups. That's why we rally every Sunday to worship together, to remind ourselves of our purpose. That's why we give. That's why we go on mission trips because we're supposed to, y'all, we're coming up on the finish line. Do you know that? Like the finish line of eternity is right in front of us. Jesus is going to split the Eastern sky. He's going to resurrect the dead in Christ. We're going to be caught up alive with him. Man, I don't want to be that guy who finished out cross the finish line like this, man. I want to be in an overdrive, man. I want to have reached as many people, done as much for God as I can. And, and you, I believe this, you are supposed to shift to the next gear. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's coming out of the prison today. You're going to come out of a prison today. Maybe it is, you're going to really start calling people out. Maybe you're just going to get in unity. You just decide to do the hard thing. You know, unity's not unity until the person you're in unity with frustrates you. That's when it really becomes unity. If you like everything that they say and do, you're not really in unity. You're just hanging out with people you like, right? Maybe that's the next step for you. But, but I want you to know this. You won't do it by yourself. When Jesus was, uh, was about to go away in John 14, he said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send you a helper. The Holy Spirit's going to be your helper. Guess what the word Jesus actually used? Parakletos. It means the one called alongside. What that means is all this stuff that you're doing in Christ, you are never doing it alone. There is the Holy Spirit beside you. 